Welcome to the Aerospace Executive Podcast, featuring in-depth conversations with executives, leaders, influencers, and journalists in this dynamic, high-stakes industry. Hosted by Craig Pickett, founder of Northstar Group, the boutique executive search firm for the aerospace industry. You'll learn how top aerospace executives are developing their people, competing for talent, overcoming challenges, and adjusting to industry trends to drive growth and profits. And now, let's join your host, Greg Pickett. Michelle, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Craig. I'm very happy to be joining you today. So, okay. So, how's your uh, so uh, the author of Breaking Cover, My Secret Life in the CIA. So that gives everybody a pretty good idea of your uh, your first career. Yes. Before you were an author, how's the book doing? It's doing really well. It's very exciting, um, especially when you are coming in from an industry like intelligence, and then suddenly you're in you're hiding from the world, and then now you have a book, and you have to do the opposite. So you never quite know what that's going to feel like or how that's going to go, but it's been pretty incredible. So just just on the offhand, I mean, I know there's some pretty good restrictions, you know, on on what you can write, you know, what you can say, what's classified, not classified, etc. Was it? Was getting the book written a little harder than you thought it would be just because of the the bureaucratic channels you had to go through? Actually, so yeah, you're right. Everything that I talk about or write about that has to do with being in the CIA has to be cleared by the agency, either you know what goes in the book or what I talk about on podcasts. But um, I wrote the book to be easily clearable because what I find to be the most interesting part of CIA operations is not necessarily stuff we can't tell, but the psychological stuff, which we really can go into, what is it, you know, what, what is that process like talking to and handling sources that are so different from you? And so actually the agency, you know, redacted very, very, just a few words in a book and getting it through that process was not difficult at all. That's no, that's, uh, it's, it's fascinating. Um, so what made you, so you, you, what made you decide on the CIA? Um, um, you're going to love this answer. <laughs> I did not have a menu of options from which to choose. Literally, that is the only job of hundreds that I applied to that came through. So I always joke I couldn't get a job until I got into the CIA. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, think, I think I got that golf club in the bag with uh, with the Navy, but that's for uh, yeah. that, that's for another another story. So you joined the agency um, at when? So in um, right, uh, so it was in the pipeline going through the the last bit of the clearance process as 9-11 occurred. So I had just been told I was uh, joining the next class of trainees when um, September 11th happened. And so it was just a fascinating point in time to be entering um, the counterterrorism world right at the cusp of the world changing on September 12th. So I was just coming out of Georgetown University and getting my master's in the Arab studies. So the timing was pretty amazing. Gotcha. No, it's, so, so you, 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 you join the CIA, you go to the farm, you go through the training program. What did you, you know, what are a couple of things you really learned about, you know, people interacting yes. with folks? I mean, you, 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 I've seen your Ted talks. I've read some of your books you, or I've read some of the stuff you've written you talk about writing, you talk about interviewing the biggest egos in the room. Um, what, how did, what did you learn? 
So I think the most interesting part of what you do as an intelligence officer is you're connecting with people and you're trying to establish trust with people that will make them feel comfortable giving you um, their most sensitive secrets. And so that requires, you know, they're putting their lives on the line when they decide to be your source. And so making that connection with another human being and making them feel comfortable enough to do that, that's a very interesting connection, human connection to make. And when you think about it, it's really so applicable, not just obviously to intelligence, but if you're involved in sales or marketing or any people-related industry, learning how to make those connections with other people is really fundamental to being successful. Is that something you found naturally, the, the ability to make a connection? Is it something you found came to you naturally yes. or was it something yes. that is trained? I, I personally, I don't know about you, Craig, but I personally think that you kind of either have it or you don't, and you can take what you have and learn to do it better, but you either have kind of that emotional intelligence or, you know, where you can just make those connections easier. And for me, um, I just find people fascinating and very interesting and I love learning about them. So that served me really well in my career. Do you, yeah, when you, so when you were interviewing some terrorists, some operatives or some, you know, whomever you were interviewing, were you, mm -hmm. you studying them first? You know, oh, yes. Tell me about, <laughs> you know, you going through their background, figuring out what makes them tick. What, uh, you know, if I'm going into a job interview and I'm talking with the CEO of the, uh, of the company, um, how do I prepare? Yeah. So all the prep work that goes it, you know, that takes place beforehand is so fascinating because you want to learn as much as you can about that person. You know, where are they from? Who are they fundamentally? What makes them tick? You know, what motivates that person? Are they educated? What kind of a family do they come from? What have they done for a living? And so the more that you understand that person, the more that you can adjust the way you speak with them. So the way that you and I talk, you having been in the military and me in the CIA, would be very different than how I talk to someone who's never worked for the government. And so it affects the language you use. It affects um, the, the way, the emotion that you use when you talk about things. So the more you know about your interlocutor, terrorist or otherwise, the better you are prepared to interact with them in a way that's meaningful for them. So when you, what did you find out about these people? I mean, when you, you think about like, I, I, I go into companies and I look at everybody, I'm like, everybody has got, you know, uh, you know everybody's got their own agenda. Yes. Um, and so you got to know what the agenda is. So um, for some terrorists, they agreed to work with the CIA because they simply wanted to get paid. Other terrorists decided they wanted to do it because um, they wanted to knock out the competition. So they were willing to give us intelligence about other bad guys. And they wouldn't, they didn't want you to know that really they wanted to be the big bad guy on the block. Um, very important stuff to know. Or are you dealing with a guy who's just um, fed up with the ideology, feel like he's been used by the terrorist group and is willing to risk his life to work against them. And so, um, but I can tell you, almost so fascinating, Craig, most of the individuals that I dealt with in my career had the biggest egos you have ever seen in your life. Huge, enormous egos. And so you had to learn to deal with those egos. How do I both stroke the ego, but also um, 
you've got to be incredibly smart dealing with them because those guys are sizing you up just as much as you're sizing them up. Yep. And, and so when you're dealing with a big ego, um, you know, big business, you know, hedge funds, private equity, whatever, when you're, when you're dealing with the big guys with the big egos, how do you prepare? How do you go into that? How do you go into that? For me, the most important thing is that I have to be smarter. They might have a big ego, but the way that I um, push myself up and I increase my authority is by being really good at what I do and knowing my stuff better than anybody else. So that's something that like you grab attention when you know your field, when you know your industry. And that to me is what has enabled me to kind of slay that demon ego that I'm dealing with on the other end. It, it enables you to say, um, I know you're kind of full of yourself, but you need to deal with me because I know what it is I'm doing over here and it benefits you to deal. So preparation, preparation is key. Absolutely. And really I tell people there's no substitute for your substantive expertise in your industry. Yeah. You know, for us, most, so many of our sources were um, lying to us and fabricating information and manipulating. And so one of the most important things for me to communicate was, I know my stuff really well. If you lie to me, I'm going to know it. I either know it already or I'm going to figure it out. And I'm not the person you want to lie and manipulate. I'm too smart for that. And so what I was always trying to communicate in those meetings is don't try to pull one off on me. Yeah. No, and when you're dealing with big business, isn't it the same, right? Well, yeah, it is. I mean, I remember having conversations with people, uh, you know, uh, your really tough CEO that I worked with took over at a company and everybody asked me, what's he like? And I just said, you know what, before every meeting you go into him, think of 10 questions, you know, he's going to ask you. And make sure you've got the answers rock solid because if he if he senses there's a, a crack in the armor, he'll dig and dig and dig, and and continue to do so until you either get the answer right or or you cry uncle. I, right, assu- exactly, same thing. I'm assuming um, it's it's much the same. Yes, very very much so. And you know, when you're talking about um, intelligence and espionage, it is all about manipulation. And so you just want it to be very clear to that other person. I'm not the person you can manipulate. You're going to have to be straightforward with me and I will deal with you well if you are straight with me, but you also can't go in like banging them across the head. Like it almost has to be a kind of a, a subtle delivery. So for me, um, you had you want to establish your bona fides you want to establish good rapport while at the same time showing that individual that you know your stuff and so it's a very interesting balance to achieve so what works better in your in in your line of work or in business in a tough negotiation is 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 it thuggery or is it you know uh you know <laughs> Your kindness, you'll kill me with kindness. Um, what, uh, what works and what, what are the best tactics? What are the dumbest ones? I think it really depends on the person that you're dealing with. I mean, some people, you do have to be kind of in your face about it. And other people, subtlety is what matters. And so I think that's where your EI comes in, in assessing that person and hey, what is going to work with that personality sitting right in front of me right now. And I think everybody's different. 
You just talked, you, you, you know, I'm, I'm speaking at this conference uh, next week. It's a, it's a leadership conference for uh, the National Aviation Transportation Association. And the one thing I talk about is EI or EQ is more, is more important than IQ. Oh, I totally believe that. Yes. Is that, is that something that they, you were taught? You know, I, I don't think they taught it so much because I think the assumption was by the time we've hired you into the CIA, we've vetted you for that. We're looking for that. So by the time you get in the door, the assumption is you've already got that. We're just going to teach you um, how to improve it, tweak it, and obtain what we need here in the intelligence field. You know, how would you guys, you know, every company, every company trains its people. Um, on a you know, you know, daily, weekly, annual basis, how would you guys interact with your other, you know, your, your, your peers? I mean, when you, when you talk about a sit down or a debrief, mm -hmm. um, you know, what, you know, what do you, you know, what are you guys talking about? How, you know, what can businesses, what can businesses learn from what you guys were doing? Well, I think for us, before we go into one of those meetings, it is so helpful to meet with a colleague, um, kind of go through and prepare for that meeting. So what, I was really lucky that I had my, um, my spouse, who is an intelligence officer working essentially next to me, and we would prepare each other before we went into meetings. So, okay, who are you dealing with today? What are your objectives? Um, what do you think is the best approach for A, B, and C? And so we would even sometimes role play a meeting before it occurred. And that way, you had thought through in advance um, any issues that might come up and be as prepared as you can to, to answer them or address them or, um, or, you know, try to understand the person that you're dealing with better. And so like iron sharpens iron. We always found that that pre-prep meeting with a colleague was very valuable. And then ultimately the debrief. Oh yeah. I mean, it's debriefing. That is a very underrated skill in the CIA. Um, in our world, it's everybody thinks the sexiest thing is to recruit a source. I would, I would say that the most interesting thing is that debriefing process because as you're asking questions, you only get your, the answers you get from your source are only as good as the questions that you ask. And so I always, I always spend a lot of time preparing what questions and what is my strategy again, assuming that much of the time the person is not being forthright with me. So how, how am I going to like, Oh, no, actually that's not true. Um, you know, catching them. No, I know because of, um, something that happened last week, that's not the case. I would even go so far as to stop them in the middle of being like, Nope, that what you said, that's not accurate. And after you do that a few times, you shake them up, um, they'll, they will not try to pull that as often with you. Did you, yeah, and, and did you find that, you know, hey, look, it, did you find that every meeting is a negotiation? Every, oh, I love what you just said. I can't even, yes, every meeting was a negotiation. As my husband used to say, every meeting was re-recruiting your source to do the thing you recruited him for in the beginning. It's a re-recruitment, it's an effort, and unless you understood that, you probably weren't doing it very well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think the other thing that was so um, fascinating was the dynamic of walking into a room to deal with an individual who doesn't think you have much going on. So for me as a female dealing with Middle Eastern 
men of very militant ideology, their assumptions about me and my capabilities were pretty much rock bottom. And so when you go in and you're dealing, you know, these are the dynamics. This is the card that I've been dealt. Like I can't, I have no um, control over what he thinks about me when I come into a room, but I have to go in there and I have to very strategically reveal to him that I am something different. Um, so it's almost like I always tell people, it's almost like a third gender. You're not a male and in their minds, well, you're not quite female. So you're this like third gender that they then are, you know, you have to get them past this point where they want to, and are able to deal with you as a human being, (laughs) as an intelligence officer, as a professional. So, you know, you know, like today, so, you know, let's, let's, let's talk about that. You look, you think about today and you go, Hey, look, you got, you know, you have men and women who wear $1,000 suits, $1,500 suits to meetings. You have other people that are, you know, a little bit disarming. What's the most, if you're going into a negotiation with some, what's the most, from what you've seen in your experience, what's the most effective route? Do you go in with uh, the Rolex, Rolex watch and the $1,500 suit and make a power play? Or do you go in a little under, unassuming and catch them, you know, catch them off guard? You I know, like to surprise people. I really like to surprise people with my thought process versus my appearance. Now, appearance is important because you want to look, you know, like you're someone they want to deal with. But I think far more important than appearance is what comes out of your mouth. And when I'm walking into a situation like that, my first guttural instinct is, how do I connect with that person? How do I say something in that meeting that says, you and me were on the same page? even if you're literally coming in on different sides. I have to figure out some clever way to say, you know what, we are exactly in the same place. Once I can find a way to say that, it changes the dynamic of the meeting. How do you read the person? I mean, is it body language? Oh yeah, absolutely body language. So it, it, it telescopes so much more than what's coming out of someone's mouth. Yeah, do you, have you ever, do you ever go into a meeting and you see the body language and you go up, meeting's over, let's just, you know. You know Separate what I corners? say? I see the body language and I go, ooh, this is a hard one. Bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because at so many times I, I'll give you an example. Like I'll walk into a room to provide training and um, it might be a group of men from the Middle East who are very good in their particular area and they never deal with women. And so you walk into that meeting and you presume to stand in front of them that you have something to say that's worth listening to and, the, and you can see the body language is saying, what, who the heck are you and what do you think you have to tell us? And so it's the greatest challenge in the world to say, I have to find a way to make these guys realize I know what I'm talking about and I have something worth listening to. So I usually have to figure out like a story that illustrates where I've been, what I've accomplished very subtly, you know, not throw it in their face, but very subtle. Um, For instance, I know certain Arabs are terrified of other parts, certain parts of the Middle East. And the fact that I have been there and I work there, that, that, that gives me immediate bona fides. So I'll find a way to reference a place that I know scares them and I'll find a story to tell. I love telling stories. Everyone loves stories mm-hmm. that illustrates um, something they're interested in that they want to know more about, but in a way that's easy for them to listen to. So um, it's a very fascinating process and you can see their body language literally open up 
as you're as you are introducing yourself and telling your story you can see the shoulders open up you can see them sit up straight in their chair you finally now have um, their eye their eyes are looking and you've got their attention it's so interesting and it can happen very quickly uh, you know it's finding common ground yes and 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 yeah that's the thing i find is that so many people have a real hard time you know they they want to jump right into the sale or they want to jump right into the business and yeah hey look let's you know, slow down you know go find some common <laughs> go find some common ground with people you know be you know be at the the mets or a, Hey, we all lived in West Virginia or, or whatever. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. And so the, the fun thing is, well, try to find common ground with the guys from a village in, in Iraq who never deals with women. But I can find it, especially if I've done enough of my research. I will find a way to make that connection. Yeah, I think and, it keeps... And it shocks them. Sorry. No, go ahead. No, it shocks them. And then once you've done that, then they became so intrigued with you being so different that they want that connection they desire that connection and they'll do anything to maintain it yeah no it's 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 interesting you know the more research yeah you know, everybody everybody's favorite subject is really themselves in a Absolutely. lot of ways in a lot of ways you know and, and when you do 20 30 40 minutes an hour's worth of research on somebody or a couple hours you learn their business and you learn you know about their family or whatever you can find and you're able to talk about that you know, it changes the whole dynamic. Agree, a hundred percent. And of course, you have to do that in a, in an authentic way because if people feel like you're just putting together um, a scenario, um, you know, A plus B equals C, they're going to be turned off by it. So fundamentally, I think you truly have to be interested in other people, or they'll sniff it out. They'll sense it. So, yeah. So now that you've left the CIA, how are you, you, are you putting these, these same skills to work and helping other people do the same? Yeah, yes, indeed. So I do a lot of public speaking and I find that when I'm presenting and to people as a keynote or an inspirational speaker, it's the same thing. Like I need to know my audience. Who are they? Where are they coming from? What are the objectives of their conference today? And how can I reach them in a way that's meaningful for them? And so it's essentially, you know, you do read body language when you're on a stage. You do collect your information, your data ahead of time so you know who you're talking to and what they need to hear from you. And so I, I have transitioned. So it's a very different, it's the same process with a different group of people. Where do you feel, you know, so in all the people you've met over the years, where do you feel, you know, folks are really getting it? And where do you feel companies need to start investing more or do they? Is it just, hey, look, yeah, it's a, it's a, you know, do they, do they need to invest more in their business training or do you think they it's do. just a matter? Yeah. They do need to invest more in their business training. And I'll tell you why, because we're human beings and believe me, I, I am the same way. We, we draw conclusions about other people very quickly and it's a very subconscious process. And unfortunately that can get in the way of us being successful in our jobs. I have an, an example from just yesterday. I was going to a car dealership to buy a car and for whatever reason, the manager and the salesperson wrote me off as someone who shouldn't be there or couldn't afford the car, who whatever was in their minds, and basically let me walk off the lot without test driving the vehicle I came in for. And I ended up walking back in there three days later and I said, I'm very disappointed. You lost a sale because you misjudged me 
fundamentally as a person. And just, you know, and so it's interesting. And I thought, wow, this is so applicable to anyone who is in sales and marketing and operations. Anytime you're dealing with human beings, you have to always train your sales force to, um, to improve their ability to connect with other human beings. That's yeah. just good across the board. Car dealers are, are car dealers are notoriously hor- horrible about it. Yeah, car dealers for, for all intents and purposes should be the best salespeople in the world. Right. And I often find they're the worst. I, I, I wrote a similar note. I, yeah, I wrote a similar note to a dealer a couple months ago. And it's like, you know, the guy, your sales guy that was walking past me smoking a cigarette and says, Hey dude, you know, lost out. I lost out. <laughs> lost, yeah. So lost yeah, out. today I bought a vehicle in a completely different place. And so that other, that other dealership lost, lost, uh, lost my business. And you know, that's silly. That should never have to happen. Um, but I, I come across people in all industries. We're just reminding people to be more open-minded about who they're dealing with and teaching people how to take the time to make the connection is so beneficial in almost every industry. Just be nice to everybody and then you're covered. I mean, that's, there you go. <laughs> at, at the end of the day, that's, that's kind of it. Treat everybody, treat everybody, uh, treat everybody nicely and your, your bases are covered. But we, exactly. we, saw the, we saw the same thing when I was, you know, we talked about when I was selling airplanes, you know, we had this, everybody had a, a, a horror story about somebody that they wrote off who wrote a, you know, you know multi-million dollar check. Right. You're, like, you're, <laughs> you're like, your kid, where did that come? Where did that come from? Exactly. Yes, I'm sure you saw that a lot in those sales. Yes. Yeah, but I, but I'm, I have the same. Yeah, look. Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to think I'm perfect, and I'm. You know, I'm absolutely not. And there's probably some conversations I've had in the last twelve months that I. Oh. I, I wish I could take back. Let's put it that way. We're all guilty, but you know the other thing that I really love um, sharing with people in terms of speaking and doing podcasts and things of this nature is, um, I learn so much in those. 10 years working for the agency and then, and then the you know seven years since then about getting out of your comfort zone. And that message resonates with everyone that I speak to, old and young, male, female, and everything in between. The thing is, it's so easy to fall into normal and not push ourselves into discomfort, which is of course where the interesting things happen. And so um, I like using the platform of saying, okay, you guys heard my bio. It has all those sparkly words like CIA and undercover and counterterrorism. And I've lived in six countries in the Middle East and I've traveled to almost 50 others. People always say, wow, you are, must be fearless. And I say, that's totally wrong. There's nothing that I did in the CIA that I felt capable of or prepared for or certain of my ability to succeed and but yet I did it anyway and so I I like to tell stories of of how I had to challenge myself in various scenarios and showing them what the outcome was and the message is we all fall into complacency and comfort and you have to like shake yourself up you know, every now and then to say, am I reaching? Am I trying? Am I, am I um, pushing myself? Because of course, um, nothing impactful and interesting ever happened in the comfort zone. No, I'll give you, yeah. So I'm mentoring a a young student at the business school, local business school, University of North Carolina, Wilmington. And you talk about getting out of your comfort zone and he wants to apply for this internship. 
And so he applied for it online. I'm like, okay, great. And then he says, well, then I shot the guy an email. I go, okay, great. I'm like, well, why didn't you just pick up the phone and call him and go, hey, can I buy you coffee and talk about the internship? I love it. And yep. he's like, well, what, I, I can do that? Well, yeah, you can do anything you want. Um, I love, I love it. it. I love the, where did you, where did you find, where do you find yourself most out of your comfort zone or where did you find yourself most out of your comfort zone? Well, you know, um, I just remember launching to the first country we were assigned to and it was one of the kidnapping and carjacking capitals of the world. And I had traveled a lot by that point, but even as much as I'd traveled this particular location, <laughs> scared the socks off me. <laughs> and I thought, how am I going to do this? How am I going to live and work in this really crazy place? And it, it did terrify me. Um, and you get through it and you realize, holy cow, I have a whole lot more strength inside to do hard things. than I thought, I mean, and just something as simple as getting through a year of clandestine tradecraft training. I mean, you don't go into that knowing if you're capable of um, identifying surveillance um, gathering intelligence, debriefing a source, writing an intelligence report, becoming operational on a Glock or an AK-47. And you learn, wow, I can do all those things and I can do them actually really well. So everything, every little tiny thing in my life for 10 years was constantly pushing me out of what was normal and the bounds of what I had ever experienced myself. That's uh yeah, no, I I love that. And um I'm all about you know just you know, hey, look, the most the scariest thing people will do in their lives is change jobs. You know, or they they you know, it's change jobs or move and you know, that'll take them take them way out of their comfort zone. And I'm a big proponent of it because I, I tell people, hey, look, if you're 20 years at your same company and you're not growing, yep, you're dying. Or you're, right. or you're a target for the next, quite frankly, when the next downturn comes, they're looking at you and they're saying, hey, wait a minute, um, you know, you're 20 years here and you're not going to get promoted. And, um, you know, that's when change starts to happen. So, yes. Um, yeah, I love that part about you know, getting out of the getting out of the comfort zone. Yes, indeed. And um, it's all about minimizing risk. You want to take risks, but as you learn in intelligence, everything, everything is a gamble, risk versus gain. And so what you do is say, how can I find a way to do something interesting and different, but minimize the risk involved with that? Um, so, you know, when we're carrying out operations, we go through the, what are the hundred things that could go wrong? What can I do to mitigate those things and still move forward? And I think, you know, when you're contemplating a new job or a position or a project is art is there risk involved yes there is what can you do to, to minimize it and still you know move yourself forward is the question did you guys ever do a percentage kind of a percentage thing that says hey look okay we're going to go down this path but for us to make it work we need to be 10 or 20 percent better no. than we are you know to you know, for it to work, we need to be 10 or 20% better than we are now. No, no. I think because it, was, it would be so hard to assign a numerical, you know, to, to numerals to those questions. Because, um, of course, in dealing in espionage, there are pretty risky things going on. Um, but you say, look, I, I can at least think through uh, the 10 things that could go wrong and tell myself to focus, you know, to plan for those things. Um, so that 
I won't lose focus if something unexpected presents itself in the middle of that operation. Did you guys always talk about, I mean, I, I'm, I'm assuming there's always a you know, conversations of risk reward and that risk reward analysis. Yes. In there. Absolutely. That was the bread and butter of what we did. Gotcha. So what do you, you know, teaching, you know, so if you're talking to mid-career, I mean, you're, you're out in your speaking tours and you're talking to mid-career, maybe, you know, late twenties to early forties people. Yes. What do you, what are you telling them? So what I, what I say is, look, I think that when you get this far in your career, you're pretty good at um, taking on new challenges. But I think we forget that now that we've become proficient in that area, our job is to help other people take you know, uh, calculated risks. So our job is to teach other people how to get off the X, which is what I call it in my book. Um, or we help people realize, do you know you're stuck in your comfort zone and you're not moving at all? Um, and then I tell them to, you know, also when you're in that part of your career, you go, oh, I can't make any big changes at this point in my life. And I, I like to remind people, it's not the big changes that matter. It's the little tweaks and the small steps you take at this point that can make a big difference and matter at this point in our careers. So what's that one thing you can do today to move yourself forward? to where you want to be or think you need to be. Yeah. You know, do you find that, you know, a lot of people, you, you, you know, you've probably heard it. Oh, I can't do it because my spouse or my kids are in fifth grade. I could never imagine taking them away from their kids and putting them something new. Um, I hear that quite a bit. Do you, do you, know, do you ever counsel people and say, look, you know, your kids are in fifth grade and yes, they'll leave their friends, but maybe the ability to make new friends. Is yes. A bigger so what reward. I think you do is like, let's break it down. In order for you to achieve this objective, it's going to take these 10 steps. Okay. Now that we know what has to be done, how many, what could you literally do tomorrow? What tiny little step can you take? And when you start getting people to break it down, they realize that it's digestible. You know, I don't have to jump from high school into the CIA. <laughs> that might be 500 steps as it was for me to get in there. But to date, I can do something to move myself forward. I, I think that helping people um, think through that process is very valuable at any point in their career. Yeah. I mean, hey, look, if they're going to shut you down, they'll, they'll shut you down. They're going to, mm -hmm. hey, look, if you're, you're just adamant you're not going to move, then, you know, it, it'll be a very short conversation, but if you're open, <laughs> right. if you're open to if you're open to if you're open to at least the suggestion and going through the process, um, yeah. Hey, look, have conversations. If the conversations take you to the place they want to be, great. If they don't, you made a new friend. Indeed, and also I always remind people, like, yeah, moving forward requires sacrifice. You know, are you willing to sacrifice a little bit to get yourself moving forward? Because Nothing ever worth doing came easily, you know? So you've got a, a okay, so it's going to take a little bit of time each evening. I want to learn Arabic. You know what? Take 15 minutes each night study and learn Arabic. You don't have to jump into a master's degree at Georgetown in Arab studies. You know, there are little things you can do to, um, that will have big rewards at the end. What made you decide... You know, after 10 years, what made you decide that that wasn't the career for you anymore? 
So there are a variety of reasons. I mean, the first one, the easy one to understand is burnout. Absolute exhaustion from 10 years of war zones and living undercover and being far from your family and friends and missing out on life back home. And then also at the same time feeling that I, it was a spiritual call. Like it's time to leave because it's time for you to share your story and help others. Um, and that and uh, some family reasons all came together and we just knew, we just knew it was time. Do you still so look that over- was a leap of faith, gigantic leap of faith. That is a huge, you know, you talk about, you, you talk about your comfort zone and if there's, for all the military people out here, out there that are, they're going to be listening to this. You know, that's a huge, you know, I've, I've known, you know, SEALs and special operators and, you know, commanders of aircraft carriers who have, you know, put themselves in harm's way hundreds of times over. But if you talk about making them jump into the civilian world. That's more terrifying. That's more terrifying. <laughs> like, guys, you're, you're dealing with a bunch of pussycats compared to, to the folks you've been, you know, the, you, the situations you've been in. But, uh, I mean, I think the thing is we're, a lot of us are adrenaline junkies and we worry, are we going to be able on the outside in the civilian world, feel like we are going to have purpose in life and have the chance to make an impact like we did in the military or the CIA or law enforcement or whatever. And the short answer to that is absolutely. And I found so much purpose on the outside of the CIA and almost on a daily basis, I feel it but you have to open yourself up to doing things differently. I mean, for, for, for me and Joseph, we are leaving the CI with no resume, not being able to tell anyone what you've done for 10 years. Um, there's nothing more terrifying than trying, like, what comes next? What, am, what can I do on the outside? What am I worth? Can I ever feel like I'm doing something that matters? And the, you know, it took some time, but it's been absolutely worth it. And I would never make a different decision if I had to go back. So my message to your listeners is don't be scared of change. Last question, and I'll let you go for the evening. But so you made the big change and you talk, it's a great, it's a great, I could spend all day on this topic, quite frankly, but yeah, you talked about, Hey, look, uh, what, what have you been doing? Well, I can't really say. Who have you been working for? Ah, some guy, some guys in Washington. Your resume is a little <laughs> your your resume is a little blank. How do you sell yourself? How did how did you guys? I mean, it's a great it's a great story. How how did you sell yourself to? Obviously, you had a good story. You wrote a book. You you wrote a great book. You know. So for us, it was um, our network was very tiny. We only knew a few people, and um, amazingly, it just you know I always tell people it takes one person to believe you, trust you. And that one person was very familiar with operations and had been part of the counterterrorism mission in the Middle East. So they knew, they were able to check on us. Okay, we were legitimate. I don't need a resume. I don't need to know everything you did. Um, But I'm going to help you kind of you know, leave, I'm going to help provide a little lifeboat for you to jump out of the Titanic. I'm going to throw some business your way and it's up to you what you do with it. But so we found one person who helped us make that transition and that that was all we needed. And here you are. And here we are. Yes. 
That's an awesome story. So your book, your your uh, your book is once again breaking cover. My secret life in the CIA. Yes. How's it been doing? Excellent. It has just been selling really well. And I probably get emails every single day from someone who says that they were inspired um, to get out of their comfort zone. They were inspired to try something hard. They were inspired to do something different. And so the fact that it's having that kind of an effect on people, it gives me goosebumps talking about it, but really that's why we're all here. We're all here to help each other move forward and um, look fear in the face and move forward anyway. There you go. And how do people, if they want to reach out, um, yeah, just connect with you online. What's the best way for them to uh, to do so? So I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn, and uh, I have a website, and they're all in my three part name. So Michelle Rigby Assad, and I love to hear from people. Absolutely, connect with me, and um, and especially if you've had a chance to read the book, I love feedback on the book. Awesome. Hey, thank you for uh, thank you for coming on. I hope you'll I hope you'll come back. I know this is going to be a very popular topic. Well, Craig, um, I'd love to come back, and thank you so much. Look forward I to it. Appreciate it. it. Thanks for coming on tonight, Michelle. Thanks, Craig.